0: This edition of The Wellness Prescription is brought to you by Healthy Planet, making the world healthier and greener one day at a time. Good morning, I'm Dr. Claudia. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Thank you all for tuning in again as you do every week. So the last few weeks I've been asking listeners and followers to send me a health-related question I would answer on the air. So here goes, this week's question was about collagen, should I take it, how much and what kind should I take? So the answer is yes, take collagen, take it every day and one scoop is enough in your water or your shake or your smoothie, however you want to take it. I love to take a marine collagen because it's not only good for my joints and connective tissue, it's also great for my hair, my skin, and my nails. It'll keep your joints lubricated, it'll help you build muscle and keep muscle, and it will also help people heal from leaky gut. So, the bottom line is find a collagen that works for you and it is right for you, take it daily. You should start to notice a difference in about three to four weeks. Uh, You'll have less joint stiffness, and you'll have healthier hair, skin, and nails. So I hope that helps, and I encourage you to keep sending me those questions. Today, on the wellness prescription, I am joined by Nicole Perkins. She's joining us all the way from Los Angeles, and she's going to talk to us about her journey with gut health. So thank you for joining me today.
1: Welcome, Nicole. Hi, Dr. Claudia. Thank you for having me. It's such
0: a pleasure to be able to talk to you, and I feel like everybody is starting to gain knowledge about how our gut health is really related to our overall health. Now, I know you struggled for years with various ailments until finally you were diagnosed with SIBO, so S-I-B-O. Can you tell us what that is and what some of the symptoms are?
1: Sure. SIBO, which stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, is a bacterial infection of the small intestine. Bacteria is normal in the intestinal tract but in this case, there's too much of one or more kinds, even of healthy bacteria, and or the wrong kinds of bacteria in the small intestine. And When you have too much bacteria in your gut, they start feeding off of undigested food, and which causes the food to ferment, producing hydrogen, and in some cases methane gas. So symptoms range from severe bloating, belching, flatulence, severe abdominal pain, visceral hypersensitivity, where you experience intense pain in your inner organs. Also, problems in the gut cause so many other issues, malnutrition, neurological and psychological problems, skin problems. For me, I experienced intense bloating. I could wake up with a flat stomach then by the end of the day look six months pregnant. And I also experienced visceral hypersensitivity. And when one thing started hurting, it was just a cascade. I had so much inflammation for so long that I developed leaky gut syndrome, which exacerbated my autoimmune responses. And other SIBO symptoms I experienced were psychological. Brain fog, poor memory, anxiety and depression. And the unfortunate thing because of the gut-brain axis is that these neurological and psychological problems are both symptoms and causes of SIBO. They feed off of each other.
0: So it was kind of becoming like a vicious cycle for you and you know, it's hard to kind of fall, you know, kind of get yourself out of it. Um, so you were experiencing all of those symptoms, but the symptoms for me that stand out the most, and one of the symptoms I hear about all the time is like this brain fog, and people are starting to catch on that your gut health or your intestinal health is really related to your mental health as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. What were some of the things that you were experiencing when you were, before you were diagnosed?
1: Yeah, um, so sometimes it's hard to pinpoint where things hurt. And it just, there were, I mean, it was, it was like a spotlight that followed me everywhere every day. And I prayed to have a good day. And by a good day, that meant not have a major flare-up, just a minor one, just so I could carry on with my day, no matter how bad I felt, but not be bedridden and unable to function. So on a scale of 1 to 10 with, Ten being waking up and popping out of bed with a hot skip and a smile, and one being in intolerable, excruciating pain, or just too fatigued, achy, and depressed to get out of bed. I got used to functioning at like a four. I had to, and I was below four all too often. And it impacted my family, my daughter, my husband, my friends in social life, and my self-esteem and this feeling that something was wrong with me and I couldn't control it. And I really was doing the work and trying, or so I thought. Um, the worst thing is this is an invisible illness. It's all too easy for people to think that it's in your head, which is a ridiculous notion to me because everything is in our head and gut. But the the worse, the more the people progressed and the worse I felt, the more difficult it was to clear out that brain fog and just sort of reset my, mind, my mindset, my, um, my perspective every day and do the things that actually make us feel better that are harder to do when we're feeling so bad.
0: So, Nicole, you suffered for a long time and without having any answer, answers and not knowing exactly what was going on. So I think one of the big questions listeners might have is how was this diagnosed?
1: Yeah, it was definitely not a straight path. I had exhausted various Western doctors that I'd seen, and for me, it was when I finally started seeing a functional nutritionist who asked different questions and did different tests. When we ruled we ruled out Lyme disease, we ruled out some other things, and she just said, you know, have you ever done a SIBO test? And I said, no, what's SIBO? And I took the test. They, Send you a kit in the mail. You do a breath test. I think it's over the course of three hours in the morning. And mail it back in, and you get your results. And then I went over the results with her. And that's when we really started doing the work on SIBO in particular.
0: And so, okay, so let's take it back a step. So let's talk about how you were living your life. So regardless of how your quality of life was actually, you know, a 4 out of 10, would you say before you made some significant changes, were you actually an unhealthy eater? Were you an unhealthy person? Or do you just think that you were you know, making food choices that maybe weren't agreeing with you? I think what I'm trying to ask is, you can, most of us think that we're healthy and we're being healthy, but sometimes there are things that we're eating or consuming that are not contributing to our overall well-being.
1: Mm, yeah, good question. I thought I was healthy. In reality, and I thought I was healthy going back to when I was 16. I did every fad diet, and I could remember back to when we thought bagels and frozen yogurt was healthy. <laughs> but the, the reality is that I was eating way too much processed food, even if it was packaged well. Uh, and we could spend a whole day just talking about mm-hmm. food marketing. But it wasn't healthy. And the other thing is, it is... For me, it was a good idea to do some tests and see um, if I had food sensitivities and maybe some things that just weren't working for me. But the biggest thing was that going to a grocery store and and relying on food marketers to make those choices for me just didn't work. It was when I cleared all of that out and um, started eating real food, whole food, that it made a difference.
0: Right. So you started, though, by eliminating certain foods from your diet. So the obvious ones are, you know, the processed or packaged foods. What other foods were you trying, did you start off uh, removing from your diet?
1: Obviously, it's limited sugar, no refined sugar. For me, no gluten, very limited grains, and mostly no dairy just because it's so inflammatory. may not be for everybody. And the biggest thing is that at least half of my plate is plants, ideally at every meal. Really, 50 to 75% of my plate is plants, but at my, when I'm doing my best, half of that is non-starchy vegetables. So I'm just infusing my body with nutrients. And when I eat like this, my body just works right. I don't get sick. I don't get headaches unless I fast too long. I sleep well. I have sustained energy throughout the day. My brain works well. I'm lucid, thoughts come easily on command, I feel happy because my hormones are more balanced, and things just work.
0: I love it, and your quality of life probably jumped up from a four out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. And when we come back, we are going to talk about Prima Foodie. So it's a movement to empower through food. This is the Wellness Prescription on 1059 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 1059 The Region. Or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 1059 The Region. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. Before the break, Nicole and I were discussing her journey to improving her gut health through changes to her diet by eliminating gluten, dairy, sugar, all the processed stuff. And then she was at, started adding wholesome foods to help heal her, but her journey didn't end there. So she created Prima Foodie, it's a social media platform where she shares her recipes and her experiences with food and I tell you it's very enticing because I follow her. Um, So Nicole, can you tell us a little bit about this platform that you've created?
1: Yes, so Prima Foodie was born out of my journey and my desire to truly shift the tide of clean living into the direction that I want it to go. I want to inspire people to Relearn how to focus on food first when it comes to healing and really living empowered lives. I want to fight for a food system that allows everyone to have access to nutrient-dense, wholesome ingredients that are grown, raised, and distributed sustainably and ethically. And I want to show people that to live a life in alignment with our values and the health of our planet, it's not a luxury but a right and a necessity for us all. Uh, We offer content in a myriad of ways, always aiming to meet our readers and followers where they are. We produce a weekly digital magazine filled with kitchen wisdom and tips, recipes, cooking advice, and expert Q&As, as as well as deeper dives into the food system and the ways we can support small companies and farmers, critical ingredient information, modern, modern sustainability, and more. We also offer meal planning tips and recipe inspiration on Instagram and our other social media.
0: You know what? It really is incredible, and I get so much inspiration just from, like, the foods that you display and the foods that you cook, and they all look so nutritious and delicious. But you figured out that food can heal, so how did you learn this, and how did you learn what foods to make, how to make them, and how to make them more nutrient-dense?
1: Well, as you know, I struggled for years and tried everything and I went to every Western specialist that every Western doctor recommended and it was like they just weren't hearing me. The conversation just bounced off the white coat and it was isolating and frustrating and so disheartening. So after I finally started educating myself in earnest, I just read everything I could get my hands on and worked in tandem with various practitioners. And I finally realized that these conventional doctors reached the limit of their knowledge. They're highly specialized as opposed to looking at the whole system of the body and mind. But at least in our case, they're hamstrung by medical malpractice risk and the insurance system and they're disincentivized to spend the time required to dig deep into each person's bio-individual history and search for answers to reach optimal wellness. In short, they treat sickness, not wellness. Please understand me, I am so thankful that we have doctors. If I break a leg or need surgery for something that can't be healed otherwise, I want a highly trained physician in a first class Western hospital. The issue is when we're starting with that for issues that the body can clear up on its own with a little nudge from nature. So I really learned this from trial and error over and over again.
0: And it seems that, so you made a really good point, like we, it's all about our mindset and our food and the two work well together. So it seems like through Prima Foodie you've created a community and a movement that are going to help people heal both. So their, their relationship with food and then it also kind of trickles down to the mindset. Tell us about that portion of what you're trying to create with Prima Foodie.
1: Yeah, I think... We take a curious approach. We look to science and studies to back up our research, but we also pull from our personal stories and questions, and our journeys really fuel what we do. So, so much of that, working on our own and having the confidence to take some of our health into our own hands, really feel responsible for it, that is 100% mindset and not being uh, not being intimidated by the white coat, but to use learn how to use the doctors as part of our team, but really starting with what we've done for millennia, starting with our our um, food at home. And I think that's a hundred percent mindset, and, it, and it's, there's so so many emotional issues that go into food. Right. Um, sort of like money, food is a loaded issue, <laughs> but um, you know, ultimately we want our followers and readers to know that it's never too late. No matter where you are or how full your plate is, we can support one another in taking a more empowered approach to food and overall well-being. And yeah.
0: I, and I feel like you said something else that really resonates, it's about confidence, right? But I mean, all of your healing has really, let's say, started in the kitchen, and for somebody who's very new to actually just being in their kitchen and not knowing where to start, what would you recommend? How do you start with, you know, roasting your own chicken and making your own, like, delicious vegetables? I mean, it, it can be very scary, and it can be like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start.
1: That's such a good point. It was, and it was, I didn't know how to cook before, really, before I started cooking for my daughter, of uh, seven, well, a little over seven years ago. I would suggest starting with a cookbook of food that you like. Or, if you don't prefer a cookbook, find that particular person you like on social media, videos on on YouTube or Instagram, and just use that as your pick one recipe a week. Don't try to get too aggressive and plan a new meal for every day of the week. Just start with one new one a week. When I first started, I happened to pick a paleo cookbook just because the food was simple. It had nothing to do with following a particular diet or anything like that. But it was free of the things I was trying to stay away from at the time, and it was simple, and I just Cooked for. I picked every recipe that go- looked good and cooked from front to back, and that really spurred a lifestyle change.
0: That's a really good point. Keep it simple. And you're right. The great thing about paleo is that the, re- the recipes are very simple, and that's a great place to start. But you also mentioned earlier that your plate is usually 80% plant-based. Um, what is the reason behind that? Like for listeners who wouldn't even know, some people just don't know where to begin with how to, you know, fill their plate for each meal. So how would you decide? 80% is going to be plant-based. Does it have to be all different vegetables? Uh, what kind of vegetables are really great to start with?
1: I do for for in general. I always say 50 to 75% of your plant is plant-based. The where There's so many nutrients and minerals that we only get from plants. And it's also important that that's uh, as diverse as we can get it, depending on what's available to us in our particular geographic location and that particular season of the year, because that's how we ate historically. It also ensures that, really it comes down to diversity. It ensures that we get Uh, A well-rounded input of nutrients and as far in addition to a diverse plant makeup on that plate that doesn't mean a steak and then 75% of the plate is french fries. (laughs) It means you know of that 50 to 75% you know well like I said a a general rule of thumb is that half of your plate is at least for me, half of my plate is leafy greens. And not just iceberg lettuce, and not just red leaf lettuce, but I just try to mix it up, so I get whatever it looks the best at the farmer's market every week. Sometimes I have to go to the grocery store, and I will mix it up with collard greens, um, oh, a variety of kale, uh, beet greens, any any number.
0: And now uh, during your healing, so at the point where you were starting to heal from SIBO, you said that you had to eliminate, you know, the obvious things, uh, and you also eliminated grains. But now you're at the point now where you can somewhat tolerate them. So, do you recommend that once they're tolerable in a person's diet again, you can get back on them, or do you also recommend? you know, keeping it in check and always just making sure that you're limiting the things that may be contributing to the symptoms or maybe bringing it
1: back? Well, I'm not a doctor and I just wanna make that clear. I always recommend talking to your own doctor or nutritionist because everybody's individual. Having said that, it's always a good idea to Limit those things that are aggravating and just the general rule of thumb for uh, Resuming anything that was problematic before whether it's a food sensitivity The general rule of thumb is no more than two to three times per week Um, The the notion of once in a while is really murky (laughs) because that can very easily be three days a week, four days a week, every day, multiple times a day, it's sparky, and it's different for everybody. So it's a good idea to limit that. And, and listen to your body. Regardless of what a doctor says or what tests say, our bodies are usually the first responders and the first ones to speak up and say, eh, something's not right.
0: That's a really good point. Actually, that's a really, really good point. And I always tell my patients that when you eat something that your body is not going to agree with, you'll notice your uh, heart rate goes up. You sometimes notice that you're, you know, you're breathing a little faster. It's very subtle, but your body is telling you what it's not agreeing with. And making those healthy choices, it's just going to help you along the way. But with Prima Foodie, you're trying to shift the global mindset about food and wellness, and I love this, okay? So you believe that eating or you believe that more healthy food, so the more healthy food we demand, the more accessible health we will be for all of us, okay? This is a really powerful statement, uh, so let's discuss it further. The more we w- a demand for healthy food, the more accessible it will become. Let's talk about this. This is really important.
1: Yeah. Well... Without demand, there is no incentive. There is literally no reason to change, because this current system of industrial farming, high extraction, low quality, is working for food manufacturers and food conglomerates, for big agriculture and food lobby groups. It's not working for human beings and living things and the future of the earth. So let's make it work for them with our dollars. If the products are there in the store, we buy them. The same can be true for the opposite. If we demand it through overwhelming demand at our grocery stores, by showing up and buying from our local farmers markets, joining food co-ops, we create more demand. And at Prima Foodie, we believe that access to a clean food supply grown in soil rich in nutrients is a right we're born with and everyone should have. You shouldn't have to be in the 1% to afford pure, unadulterated food straight from the ground or water.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And we're not only doing this for ourselves, we're doing this for our children and their children and generations to come. And that brings me to my next question. So you have a daughter, and I gather that you're doing all of these same meal preparations for her. So how do we encourage? Our kids to make sure that they're making healthy choices, even from a young age. We want to introduce them to all the great foods and all the wholesome foods, and want to not necessarily introduce them to all the processed and packaged foods.
1: Well, I I struggle with this just like everyone else. I will say that I have faith that everything that I'm doing with my daughter is sticking, and I always said that. My goal is to show her how to live this way. She, the older and older she gets, the more independent she'll become and make her own food choices, and she'll make some bad ones. But when she comes back around, she'll know not just, she won't have to learn from scratch what to eat. She'll also know how to live that way. What does it look like when she knows she's going to a professional or a social situation where there isn't going to be um, and a whole, there won't be a whole lot of good choices. And she's just, even when she resists, it's sticking. She's absorbing it because she'll be talking to somebody else and think that I'm not listening, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm just blown away at how sophisticated she is with her food knowledge and her nutrition knowledge. So what's worked for me is putting healthy food on her plate, and for the most part, she can choose to eat it or not eat it, but I give her good choices. I include her as much as I can in meal planning, when we have time in making her lunch, and when she's not making good choices, sometimes it's necessary for me to step in and make them for her.
0: That's really, really good advice, and it's a great way to raise our children to be aware of what to eat, when to eat it, and, um, and I agree with you. If we demand more healthy food, we are going to have more access to it. I can't thank you enough for your knowledge, your insight, and for all the amazing recipes and, and things that you're posting on social media. If people do want to see what you're doing and get in touch with you, how can they do that?
1: Thank you so much for having me. Yes, you can find us on Instagram at, at PrimaFoodie. And we encourage everyone to sign up for our weekly digital magazine and encourage your friends to do the same. Go to our website to sign up at PrimaFoodie.com. Also feel free to send us a note at empowered@primafoodie.com. We love to hear from people about their concerns, their confusions, their food ruts, their kitchen concerns. Trust us, we've been there ourselves, and we want to dig further, so we always love to hear from people.
0: That's awesome. You'll definitely be hearing from me, and you can find me, as usual, on Instagram at Claudia underscore or my website, www.ClaudiaMacchiella.com. That's my show for this week. For previous broadcasts of The Wellness Prescription, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thank you for listening. The Wellness Prescription was brought to you by Healthy Planet. Order online at HealthyPlanetCanada.com or go online to find a location nearest you.